importance of asking for the charitable gift. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjukevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Genevieve Shaker. Jen holds the Donald A. Campbell Chair in Fundraising Leadership at the Fundraising School within the Indiana University Lilly Family School Philanthropy. And thanks to this gift from Don Campbell, we are able to even further deepen the research connection with the Fundraising School's curriculum applied to effective fundraising practice. And Jen, welcome back to the Fundraising School's podcast. Thank you so much, Bill. I'm really happy to be here with you. Jen is the author of Chapter 34 of The Invitation to Give, in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition, which Jen served as the lead editor of this book, which came out in March of 2022. And Jen, you know, before we kind of get into the particulars of the chapter, first I'd like to ask you to explain, you know, just this reality that while there are some charitable gifts that come without an ask, and we think about, you know, all of those $300 and $600 checks that showed up in the early days of the pandemic that arrived without being requested, by far, most charitable giving happens after the donor is asked. This is a very important skill for fundraisers. Absolutely, Bill. And, and I think it's something like 90% of gifts following come following some kind of request or ask or prompt from an organization. And so that can take a lot of different forms, but it really is essential to generating those gifts that enable us to serve our missions. Very early in the chapter, you point out some things that a lot of fundraisers know, and that is we need to be aware of the nonprofit's public service mission. We need to be aware of the donor's motivations and really try to discern how those two come together. But you emphasize upfront before any of that happens, the fundraiser has to have a strong sense of self-knowledge. What do you mean by that? I think it's so important to recognize the roles that fundraisers play in the giving dynamic. And in, in order to be our best selves, to bring uh, who bring the person and the information that we want to bring to the gift conversation, we have to do some work. And it's good work. We need to think about how do we feel about money? Are, are we anxious about inviting gifts or are we enthusiastic? Where do those feelings come from? And how can we recognize those and also build ourselves up as we go into these important conversations that are one part, one key part of the whole cycle of giving? Some people could be hesitant to, quote unquote, ask somebody else for money. And you talk about how folks have anxieties over this. They have some negative assumptions over this. How can people overcome those anxieties and assumptions to instead really rely on their strengths and their knowledge? Well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I have definitely heard the words, you ask people for money. How can you do that? And sometimes I hear it in awe and shock and appreciation. And sometimes I hear it in fear and nervousness and, and all those things that uh, people are anxious about in life. And so I think, you know, what I feel in my experience is that those comments are actually empowering because that's telling me that I I, the fundraiser, 
can do something valuable and important and that few people can do what I'm doing and that the nonprofit needs me and the cause need me, needs me and the beneficiaries needs me, need me. So I really take those comments and turn them on their head and think about, yeah, yes, I can do that. And you need me to do that, to create this, this world that we, we want to live in. And so that's a place that I start that conversation with myself. So it's okay to talk to yourself in these moments. And that, in fact, we need to do that to get ready for these conversations. And as we're having those conversations, we're cultivating relationships. And there's so much that's good in this chapter from overarching principles to very particular action steps that people can take when requesting the philanthropic gift from the donor. But but Jen, one of the phrases that really jumped out of the chapter for me was that we're culti- cultivating the relationship in a way that the donor is feeling more valued than we are valuing the donor's money. Can you explain what you mean by that? And also, how do we get to that point as we're cultivating this relationship? Yeah, well, I in my research with donors, so many of them made statements to me like, I don't want to feel just like a wallet. And who can blame them? They want to, to feel like the people, the humans that they are. And so we we do that in these conversations and, and throughout these relationships with major donors by listening carefully to the donors that we're talking to by treating them fairly, by representing the organization fairly in those conversations, and just just by valuing them as more than money, right? Because philanthropy is more than money. And when they are giving you that money, they're also giving you other gifts, gifts, gifts of their belief, their confidence, their commitment, their uh, the legitimacy they provide your organization. And so if we build relationships that recognize those dimensions, uh, as well as the financial dimension of philanthropy, then we will have better outcomes for the organization, those we serve, and a, a better experience for our donors as well. What do you think are some of those personal traits, characteristics, behaviors of a fundraiser to be able to discern that understanding from a donor and to be able to build that relationship where, again, the donor is valued more than we value the donor's money? What needs to be true about me as a fundraiser to be able to reach that point? Well, I I think we have to be great listeners. And if we think about that in relationships that we have with others, listening is a key piece of what makes a relationship satisfying. And so the the chapter talks about active empathic listening. And so that is that is the kind of listening that we try to give people uh, when we're giving them our full attention. And by the way, some things I've read about charisma also say that actually being a great listener and paying attention to the people we're talking to, is also a sign of charisma. Interesting, isn't it? And and so, right, we're on a screen right now, but I'm trying to be a good, active, empathic listener to you, Bill. So if the audience is distracted by seeing me nodding and smiling and repeating your words, 
those are all things I'm doing to be an active empathic listener. And now how that comes across on Zoom, I think some of us actually found that out in COVID and whether we can convey that through Zoom. But so that that's really at the top of the list. And of course, uh, high levels of professionalism are also key, right? So do doing what you say you're going to do, um, following up, uh, knowing your stuff or admitting when you don't know your stuff and you need to go get more information, that's fine too. So I've really learned recently through my research, especially that professionalism in the context of fundraising is both that, that those competencies in fundraising, both those general competencies around um, professional behavior and this whole interpersonal dimension that we are just also talking about. And so you can build those throughout your relationship leading toward the invitation to give. We put a lot of emphasis on the invitation to give, but it's it's part of a progression and a process that that takes place over time that we're building to all all the time by having these positive interactions with donors. And some folks might refer to those as the soft skills of fundraising, not at the fundraising school. We'd like to call those the strong skills of fundraising. Yes, we have our fundraising techniques, but it's these you know techniques associated with active listening and empathy, emotional intelligence, uh, that is just so important, responsive conversation that generates towards a deeper understanding between everybody involved that's so essential to getting to know the donor well. And, and again, I, I want to go back just very quickly to Jen's use of the word charismatic. Sometimes in our culture here in the United States, people can ascribe a negative connotation. You know, somebody who's charismatic is you know, maybe kind of coming across too slick and maybe kind of phony. But this is actually uh, charismatic in terms of being genuine. It's part of transformational leadership. It's, it's part of um, inspiring people and really energizing them towards the vision in very genuine, natural ways. And that includes not just talking, but the way that we actively listen and have responsive conversation that help us get to know the donor's heartbeat. And as that has happened, Jen, uh, again, if we go back to some of the anxieties people have about making the philanthropic request, maybe they think we're just, you know, kind of walking up and down the sidewalk asking total strangers for money. And that does happen sometimes, you know, we, those of us remember the telethons back in the day where people stood on the corners and, and collected money from us and made those requests. But you make a point strongly and argued so well that we need to prepare for the meeting. We just don't set a meeting and go. What does preparation look like before even having that meeting to request a charitable gift? Mm -hmm. Preparation looks like part of what we've been talking about, which is that assessment of where we are coming into the meeting and some of those tactics that we discussed about how do we build ourselves up for these conversations. Also, what do we know about the donor? What, what do we know really, not based on our assumptions, but based on the research, right? Remember the best source of donor research is your own conversations with, the, with donors. What do we know about the donor and what they might expect in this meeting? And what do we know about how our relationship has already been formed and shaped? In the chapter, I mentioned, you know, a donor might find it pretty weird if 
they are used to receiving a phone call from you to set up an, an appointment. If all of a sudden they get a formal email from an assistant of the of the executive director to set up this appointment, right? So maybe you think on the organizational end that's making them feel more important, but actually it may be making them feel uncomfortable and unsure. And maybe you should just call them like you normally would and go ahead and tell them you're going to bring the director along. And so thinking about what's the context of the relationship in general and practicing, you know, what might happen and what is it that I'm asking for, we're asking for, or in inviting them to be part of, how am I going to say those things, and what might their responses be, and how can I be prepared for the different responses that they might have? How can I, if it's a person that I know likes things in writing, I should probably bring something in writing, <laughs> and if it's a person who doesn't want to see a piece of paper, and just wants to hear a wonderful story and then to have some facts about what you're hoping to do, let's take that approach. And, and also preparing those, because a lot of times we go as a pair to these conversations, a pair or a team into these conversations. And so in those cases, we not only need to prepare ourselves, but also others who will be with us. What is the role each person will play? And how, who will address questions about this or that? Who will actually say the words to invite that contribution? So as, as in many things in life, there is a lot, often a lot more time that goes into the preparation than into those, at that actual moment. My husband would, would, I'm thinking of my husband, I don't know why, but he would say, you know, when you're painting a room, it's, it's way more preparation to get the room ready to paint it than it is to put the paint on. And so similar in this case, there's a lot that goes on that could be preparing you for a one hour meeting that includes a two minute actual invitation to make the gift. The preparation for the meeting is just a strong example of why fundraising is a profession that this is part of our professional stance to be able to be prepared. And, you know, the next time I step on an airplane, am I not glad that the pilot learned in a simulator before they flew the airplane? It's the same kind of concept. And of course, you're not going to be able to script the entire thing. The meeting's not going to go exactly as you thought, but the idea is to be prepared and even over-prepared with your presentation ideas, with your questions, um, you know, anticipate objections, uh, as you lead up to that specific request for a gift. And the chapter also lays out the intentional process of making the philanthropic request. And Jen, we invite our, our listeners and viewers today to, to go into the chapter to see those details. But one, I just have to say for me, when I teach this content, that really stands out for me is to make sure that throughout this process, we are involving the donor. It's so easy to think we're just gonna back up the dump truck, lift it up, dump all our information on the donor and wait for the response as they <laughs> dig out from the avalanche of what we just gave them. But when we talk about the strong skills of fundraising leading up to the ask, involving the donor during the ask is essential as well. Uh, what if from that or other aspects of the intentional process of making the ask really stand out for you? Well, Bill, I think that is so critical that this is not a, a, a monologue. This is not a lecture. This is a dialogue and a conversation that you are having with the donor 
just like you have been having all along, right? It has been a back and forth series of interactions all along. And this conversation is no different, but I, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I feel nervous, I might talk too much, right? And so sometimes when we go into these types of conversations and we're, we're ready to go, we're built up, we're excited, we're nervous, what could happen? We could talk too much. <laughs> And so that that is something that we don't we don't want to do in these circumstances. We want to continue to have the conversation and we want to give the give our donors a minute. Right. Like we we want to give them a minute to think about what we're asking them for. We don't want to fill the silence and we we want to pace ourselves like we like they pace right and so if they are a we know donors who are very fast who are very quick who have 30 minutes for us who talk fast and so we we need to do some of that we still need to pause like i'm pausing now Right. We have other donors who want a, a kind of a longer, more drawn out process, who might speak more slowly, who like to have more time in general. So we want to adapt to that as well. And maybe they need a little longer pause after we introduce the actual request for support. That is so good. And that pausing, that stopping is part of the intentional process of the invitation to give. And as you continue to develop your skills in this area, keep this in mind. The person is expecting you to ask. They know why you requested the meeting or the meetings over this time as you've cultivated the relationship. They're not gonna be shocked when you ask. In fact, they're expecting you to ask. At the very least, Jen, we can have confidence in that along with the confidence of our nonprofit and the impact that we're making. That is true. We This isn't a surprise. We have made sure that they are comfortable with this conversation. And we, we, you know, that's just plain respect. How, you know, none of us would enjoy a, a, a request for a, a large gift sprung on us by surprise potentially making us feel awkward or uncomfortable. And so that's not our goal with donors. We don't want to make them feel awkward or uncomfortable in these, in these key moments. And so that is another good reminder as, as we might feel anxieties around this process. We, we are going to be transparent in this moment and we're all gonna know why this conversation is happening. There is so much information and assurance, reassurance and encouragement in chapter 34, the invitation to give in achieving excellence in fundraising, the fifth edition, the chapter written by Dr. Jen Shaker, the Donald A. Campbell Chair of Fundraising Leadership at the Fundraising School, and Jen also serving as the lead editor of this fifth edition of this timeless textbook. And the textbook is foundational to all of our coursework at the Fundraising School, we have translated research into practical, effective fundraising practice. It's why our alumni of the Fundraising School meet or exceed their fundraising goals at a rate higher than the national average. 
And 95% of our alums report that they gain greater confidence to fundraise because of that research, because of that evidence base led by our Campbell chair, Dr. Jen Shaker. Our courses, uh, 22 public courses, lead to four different certificates. We're in eight U.S. cities, also online anywhere across the world. We also can customize training specifically for you, your nonprofit, your association, your region, either our courses in total or parts of courses that are knit together and tailored just for you. We also have our quarterly webinars. We have our free podcast and, of course, the textbook, all available online at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Thanks so much to our colleague, Dr. Jen Shaker, for joining us today. Our producers are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm-hmm.